Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we've been exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance and showing up and in liberation? What wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these troubled, violent times of pandemics, war, rising authoritarianism, and racial capitalism? And what beauty can we find in our resistance? I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap, pronouns she, her, hers. I'm a United Church of Christ minister, and I'm the faith organizing coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE. I live in the place currently called Buffalo, New York, here in the homelands of the Haudenosaunee peoples, And as always, this live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led uh, by my friend, Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast for all of these years. As you know by now, we're coming to the close of The Word is Resistance as a podcast. We feel tender about saying goodbye to this incredible project that has meant so much to us. I'm having trouble like not crying through this opening, um, but that's okay. And also we feel really celebratory for the world that we've built here for white Christians over the years. And so to celebrate the completion of the podcast, we're wrapping up with three episodes of group conversations with our current contributor crew. And then we'll have the final episode from me with a special request for you. Think of these final episodes as a kind of advent calendar of parting gifts. I'm hosting today's conversation, which is the last of our group conversations, which will be with Reverend Jean Jeffress, Reverend Liz Carney, and soon to be Reverend Brigitte Vieira. So Jean, you wanna start us off with some intros. Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm Reverend Jean Jeffress. Um, I serve, uh, I'm a United Church of Christ pastor. I serve as the associate pastor at Plymouth United Church of Christ, the Jazz and Justice Church in Oakland, California, which um, is on the ancestral and unceded lands of the Ohlone people. And I'm Reverend Liz Carney. My pronouns are she and her. I'm an ordained Presbyterian Church USA pastor living on the occupied lands of the Cowlitz Indian tribe in so-called Longview, Washington. It's a predominantly white rural community that's about an hour north of Portland, Oregon. Um, I've been a part of the Surge Faith organizing team since about 2021. I'm even newer to the Word is Resistance podcast crew. I think I actually shared my first episode about a year ago during Advent. And I I was organized into movement by organizations like Surge Faith, specifically Reverend Ann. And I'm really, really grateful to be here. Over to you, Brigida. Thank you, Liz. Hello, beloveds. My name is Brigida Vieira. I use she, her pronouns. And I am a candidate for ordained ministry in the Unitarian Universalist faith tradition. Today, I happen to be in the land of the Pima people in the Valley of the Sun, which is currently called Phoenix, Arizona. And my work with the Word is Resistance has been 
a co-creative endeavor over the past little bit over a year. Um, I did a theological review of a sample of various podcast episodes throughout its long history, sort of asking the question, what is this world we're building? What does it sound like? What does it taste like? Because the work of theological reconstruction is liberating. And so I've been cultivating those gems alongside Reverend Ann Dublat and other various podcast contributors. And that's exciting, beautiful work. It's good to be here. Thanks, everyone. It's so good to have all of you here today. And we're going to take a quick little musical break and then jump into our conversation. So we're using the same group of prompts across all three of these episodes. We get to hear you all's take today on these questions. And we'll start off with, like, what are we taking with us? What are you taking with you? Um, what are we hoping for white people engaging scripture? And what do we hope that people will take with them? What are we taking with us? And what do you hope people take with them? Maybe that's the same answer, but we'll see. Who wants to start? Don't be shy. <laughs> I can jump in here. Um, you know, I think Brigida, through all the work you did to help us, uh, that you and Anne worked together to kind of collate, what is this world we've been building? <laughs> and since that time, I continue to come back to um, that death machinery image of empire as so helpful. Um, in coming to these texts and something that I didn't have before being a part of this podcast community with all of you. Um, so this like interconnected, intentionally designed, self-reinforcing cogs of a death machine that are empire and asking where is that showing up in the text? How is it impacting the person who wrote or spoke this text into being? How is it fracturing their community? I was listening to the conversation between Reverend Ann and Reverend Margaret and Nicola and thinking about the ways that the death machinery does fracture our communities and how that shows up in the texts that we wrestle with together, which makes them so much more relatable. <laughs> um, so that's one thing that I'm hoping that, I, that I've received myself um, as a tool for engaging these texts is asking the question, you know, which kind of oppression is showing up in this text that folks are wrestling with? Um, and the death machinery imagery has continued to feel really relevant. Um, and then the other piece of that, uh, I heard this really great quote. I'm sure all of you know it already, but it was new to me from Octavia Butler. There is nothing new under the sun, but there are new suns. And I was thinking about um, like coming to each text, asking like, what is the new sun that we're being invited to reorient towards like this new world? Um, 
that's giving off this warmth and this nourishment, like drawing us in, like, where is the invitation in, in the text? So holding those two questions, I think is something that I hope our listeners and that I definitely am going to be taking away as I continue to wrestle with the Bible for the rest of my life. So those are the things coming to my mind. Thank you, Liz. I love that. That death death machinery has been a really powerful image for me in rumbling with the very sneaky ways that empire continues to show up. So thank you for that. For me, a question, what are we taking with us? What are we hoping for white people engaging in scripture? What do we hope people take with them? For me, the word is resistance is a constant invitation into liberating myself from the internalized oppression of whiteness. And so often the way that whiteness operates is this illusion of separateness and hierarchy where there is this immense pressure that intersects with other identities, gender, class, that says, um, in my experience, the pressure of being, quote, the best, the best version of myself, the best person. And so sometimes, um, in my experience, faith communities, spiritual practices have been co-opted to maximize efficiency or be the best version of myself. And that is a commodification. And so the word of resistance for me is resisting that very message too, that it's not necessarily reclaiming what I could be, but who I actually am. And who I actually am in community is connected to this long lineage of revolutionaries that remind me what it means to live in a spirit of possibility. But the word of resistance is this imaginative place of co-creative realities where we gather are enacting the future that we long for and also the present that is constantly emerging through us when we are in solidarity with one another. So for me, the word of resistance, what I hope you take, beloveds, is that it's not just about having faith. A people of possibility, it's not just about what you believe in or having faith. It's also about gathering power. And that's just not who is with us in this journey, but who we are bringing along. Who we are bringing along. So my hope is that this work continues to stay in an embodied way in our lives as a people of possibility in this ongoing story of liberation. Thanks, Liz and Brigida. Um, this is Reverend Jean. And <clears throat> let's see, what are we taking with us? What are we hoping for, for white people engaging scripture? What do we hope people take with them? Well, I mean, I feel like my answer is just sort of, I don't know, it's not lofty flourishy. I mean, I'm taking with me, there's this like amazing body of work that is the word is resistance that's out there. And, and it's like, whenever I'm thinking about preaching or scripture, 
I almost always go back and look for, is that, did somebody talk about this? Is this, some, you know, did somebody cover this? Because um, there's almost always going to be um, not only just wonderful perspective that you're not going to get many places, especially from pulpits, but really an incredible scholarship. This, this body of work is in like, um, what's the word, uh, you know, full, I don't have a lot of words this early in the morning, full of scholarship, like amazing scholarship and thought. So that's definitely something I'm taking with me. And what I'm hoping for, for white people, I gotta, you know, I, I have days and I'm going through a time where I'm not having a whole lot of hope for white people right now. Um, <laughs> like, wow. Uh, you know, the world is like, it's just not getting better. And I don't, I actually don't see it getting better anytime soon. And every, what's happening in Palestine uh, the things happening, um, the civil wars uh, in the African continents right now on the African continent in Congo, Sudan, like all of this stuff is driven by Western white, white, the theology of consumer capitalism and um, include, I mean, Gaza, people want the gas. Um, Europe feels bad about the Holocaust. So we get, so they just, they gave that land i mean it's more complicated than that but i think that's that's kind of one of the layers of what we're seeing so nobody's going to tell israel anything and um anyway but there's little flecks of hope and so when i when i engage with preaching and i'm a i'm a very bible preacher um which is a lot different from my colleague who's not super Bible preacher. I see people, their ears kind of like, they're like, what? Oh, so I love that. So I feel like there's hope. Um, just if someone just even gets it for a second that the Bible was written in a certain time, in a certain context for people suffering in a certain way, like, that's amazing. I mean, that's, that's, that's the best I can hope for. And um, so I'm hoping that in the coming year, I can do some Bible studies at my church. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, that's the best I, I have as a, as a parish minister. Um, well, you get out of seminary and everything's all justice, justice, and you go to parish ministry and that balloon is just popped. Because that's just not the focus. So I've had to reorient myself uh, a number of times now. So I'm reorienting to my new setting, which is more justice but it's still parish ministry. So you're, you're drowning in the dailies. And it's hard to have the big visions of like, oh, we're going to learn this amazing thing because of this scripture. But, you know, it's like it's, there's a lot of energy going other places. So, But I'm hoping that um what i what some of the things we can do in the new year are going to perk up some of the white people's and other people's but the you know there's not very much biblical literacy in parish ministry so so i'm hoping to get some um so-called converts to 
some deeper Bible reflection in 2024. You And I'll be using the word as resistance. We'll probably be using it in some of what I'm doing. So that's my very long-winded, just had two cups of coffee answer. <laughs> I love I love that Jean and um really appreciate the reminder that you know the podcast itself even though it's completing is not disappearing that folks can continue to use it as a resource you know for hopefully a very very long time. I saw a lot of nodding from Brigida and from Liz when you were talking about parish ministry and that like the popping of the everything is justice seminary uh, coming out of San Rene Berlin. I'm just curious um, if uh, either of you have more you wanted to add to that or or say um, about that 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 challenge really of uh, uh, how we you know as as the freedom movement um, folks would say like keep your hand on the freedom plow when it can be really hard work. Yeah, I. Uh, Reverend Jean was very much resonating with all that you were saying, especially about um, up until last April, I was um, preaching every other week in a, a small parish of just beloved human beings um, in the community where I still live. And, you know, the 2020 uprisings were um, like really the first conversion experience of my life into movement and bless the congregation I was serving for <laughs> loving me and holding me while I just like became, you know, like the, the like bird in the nest who's like molting feathers <laughs> cause it's like growing and it looks like very strange and like a small alien. <laughs> like, that's kind of how I felt <laughs> for the last three years. And I was preaching during a lot of that time. <laughs> and I was like, uh, you know, so every week, I think in that time, I was like, I was so desperate for resources to preach something um, because I was, you know, trying to like dig into some more liberation theology and and also having a, a hard time figuring out for myself as a white person speaking to other mostly white people in my congregation, like figuring out how to say it in a way that was going to be legible for their daily living. Like I did not know how to do that yet and so this podcast was one of it, it I, I said in the gathering we had preparing for these conversations that um for about three years I had the word is resistance in one hand and and fleshed liturgies and their commentaries in the other hand every week um and they were kind of like training wheels on my bike <laughs> helping me to like steady myself as I kind of learned how to how to get my balance in a new practice of um, using scripture to speak something that was going to be liberating for every body and being. <laughs> um, and it was super messy along the way. And I felt encouraged by the word is resistance community as a listener, that messiness is part of it and is blessed and is welcome and that I was welcome. Um, and it get, especially because it was speaking to white Christians like myself, um, as a white clergy person, I felt like it was the first space where I found 
my lane. I I've been so moved by these liberation movements led by BIPOC organizers and folks who are on the front lines of, you know, experiencing oppression in ways that I haven't experienced and never will experience in the same way. But this gave me like my on-ramp into what my role is. Um, so goodness. Amazing. Goodness, indeed, Jean, I, oh, I can totally relate to this, you know, recently grad, you know, left seminary in a parish ministry setting at a congregation with the dreams of justice making, becoming, um, I think you said pop, right? Deflated. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's exactly right. And there is this um, amazing Unitarian Universalist multicultural um, leader named Paula Paul Jones, who reminded me that a prophetic leader does not make a prophetic church. And that was super humbling for me. Um, but it goes back to the word is resistance for me because to do that big paradigm shift, it's not what we think or believe, it's how. And doing that work is not just upon one prophetic leader, it's a collective communal practice. Um, and the word of resistance for me is that, it's a gathering of folks asking these big questions um, and inviting us all to be theologians, the theologians we need in this time. I love that, Brigitte. That makes me think of uh, our Roman series, which in many ways was very much a collective practice. You know, Jean, you and Nicola had that, that conversation together, making sense of your text. And, you know, we've talked about on, uh, on our episodes, like texting each other, calling each other, you know, emailing each other, you know, me literally sending photos out of books to other people of uh, of scholarship so that because it was hard work and we we could not do it alone there was no way that you know each one of us could have come up with stuff on our own and building off of what we were collectively learning from week to week like I just think of that series as such an, an example of that collectivity not only because there's been like 20 21, including me, different contributors over the years, but be because literally sometimes we couldn't do it without each other. And that's just such a good example of that. And I think that's a really nice segue into our um, next prompt question, um, which was really brought to us by you, uh, Liz, uh, reminding us that the Advent Christmas story does not come to completion until we get to, you know, this visit from, from the Magi and, and going home by another way. Um, and that's, that's the capitalism doesn't think that's the culmination, but silly them, what do they know? Um, but that, that's the, that's the completion of that story before it continues on. Right. So, um, how are we going home by another way? And I've heard hints of that already so far, um, like of uh, how you all have talked about that none of us are the same. You're not the same since 
you know, starting to listen to the podcast, since becoming a contributor to the podcast, since doing that deep theological project, Brigitte, on the on the podcast. So how are we going home by another way? What does that mean to you? I can jump in again, but I did that last time. So if somebody else has You are good to, to go. <laughs> okay, well, uh, you know, when I was thinking about this prompt, um, I was thinking about Reverend Ann and uh, an interview with Shane Burley that you sent out to a few of us from Truth Out. Um, and I just listened to that interview a couple weeks ago um, and talking about what it's like resisting anti-fascism today. <laughs> and he said this thing, uh, I'm just going to read it. Um that modern Democrats are basically marketing themselves as the antidote to chaos, not the antidote to racism, oppression, uh, oppressed, oppression, and inequality. <laughs> and I felt that. And I felt it in a big way as someone who's just been like deep in the river of like white progressive mainline Christianity and, and feeling this like, collective urge in that space uh especially since the previous election to like hit snooze on all the ways that we were being woken up um and just this urge to like let's just get us back to normal <laughs> which i i know is a trauma response right um However, I think after all the collective work we've done in the word is resistance and the, the things I've learned as a listener in that podcast community and then being a contributor, like I just can't unknow and unsee and unfeel the ways that the death machinery uh, is bipartisan. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just, um, I saw a quote yesterday. I'm going to forget who it was from, but that, um, white supremacy is a bipartisan value and goodness I'm feeling that in the big way today with you know genocide Joe on our hands and already the folks who are all over the internet saying that well you're gonna vote blue no matter what right and just kind of all these conversations around like returning to this normal that is so destructive and that is the death machinery and yet that it has become the idol of so many in my opinion white progressive mainline theologies that we've created and so i think that's one of the ways that i'm returning home by another way i i cannot i've like the anesthesia has worn off and i cannot just return to this normal that is that i can feel now in my body <laughs> in a way that I didn't feel before is so harmful to our beloveds. Yeah. So that's the first thing that came to my mind. Um, can't go back. Can't unring the bell. I think um, I like what you said, Liz, you know, you can't unring the bell, the normal normal as you know i think it was um sonia sonia renee taylor who said normal was already a crisis she said it about with the pandemic like we can't just go back to normal but that's exactly 
what everyone's scrambling for. Um, normal and Democrats. I mean, yeah. Um, they'll just side with the most terrible things to not have to really deal with the changes that need to happen for the world, a world where there is true equity. They're, they're just never going to do that. I mean, or I don't, I don't know about never, but in my lifetime, I've, I have not seen it. Um, you know, and you talked about Joe Biden and, um, genocide Joe and, you know, and then I, I suddenly had this fear that what I just said about Gaza and all that is going to come out on a podcast and people are going to think I'm a terrible person because of my simplification of like giving the, you know, the Brits colonizing the, the Palestine, Palestine way back when, and then that sort of project of moving Jewish people. But that's, that's what happened. Um, and then after World War II, and, you know, this, you know, this is what, but this is what Democrats will side with. And I don't even know what I'm saying anymore, but, but I just am so going home by another way. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I really think that um, I'm not sure that change, the kind of change that we want can happen like at a really big scale. Like I haven't, well, I guess I have seen it. I don't know if I've seen it. Um, I feel like it's just like that ripple of the pond thing. Um, so, I mean, I guess going home by another way for me is um, just even being able to keep going back to the places like to church or to movement or just because it just feels like what we do just doesn't do anything. Like we still have these machines of death, like running the world. And that's what looks like reality to me. I'm also Enneagram six. So I'm all like, Oh, it's all terrible. And so anyway, that's, I'm, I'm a little more doom and gloom than, than some people, but just to like, hang on and, 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 hold on to this idea that that we do have a god of liberation you know and that we that we do have a god of love and we do we do and we are those people we are the people who can like if we just even live that way like that's what i believe like that's that's the resistance you know if we even preach that and say that like no this world of death that we that you're seeing um, that's, that's not, that's actually not the world. That's, you know, that's not the world that God wants. It looks like the world that God wants, but it's not. And so just to sort of hang on to that during these times and keep showing up, keep trying to preach something, um, that is authentic to me, um, keep showing up at, ceasefire rallies and just you know just everything keep on contacting my senators as i've done multiple times now and get these like milk toast disgusting letters back about um um 
self-defense and so forth. And I mean, I feel like everybody, the Democrats and everybody knows what's going on is absolutely like horrendous. And they're just towing that line because that's what they do. They just will align themselves because it's not politically expedient to save these people's lives. That's what Democrats will do. That's what politics is. So just to go home another way for me today is really just to even hang on to that first inspiration I had when I when I um, really felt the presence of Jesus, which was this like, like, wow, I really do have a new boss. Like, you know, like my boss at work who used to make me feel terrible, like, I don't do that anymore because I have, like, I really had a change. This is like 10, 11 years ago uh, or 12 maybe, but um, just to hang on to that because the world just, just stomps its boot down on us every day, hoping that we're not going to be those people so that we'll just like get in the death machine lane of life and, and um, join in, you know, and either be so discouraged we won't fight or speak up or we'll just join you know and so just to walk that tightrope um for someone with my mind is a is a big deal some days <laughs> so that's i'm in one of those times so that's for me i'm like okay just hang on you know i don't know if it's going to change anything they're still dropping bombs on gaza um but i i can't give up yeah. And, you know, Jean, we are still in Advent when we're recording this. We only it's only the day after the first Sunday of Advent. Actually, it's December 4th. Yesterday was the first Sunday of Advent, even though this episode is for the third Sunday. Right. Um, so, but it just occurs to me like the first Sunday of Advent is always the world is a horrible, terrible place, <laughs> you know, disaster is all of, around us and like there's a, a reminder in that that the spiritual practice of of naming the death machinery for what it is is part of this season and capitalism wants to fool us into thinking it's about lights and it's about presents and it's about shiny things and it's about like whatever and it's not like part of the practice is being absolutely clear about you know, the, the reality of the world. So I appreciate you like bringing that your honesty and, and bringing that, um, to this conversation and your, uh, like testimony of when you got a new boss just really made me think of like connecting first Sunday of Advent all the way to going home by another way. Cause that's what the Magi do, right. Is like, Oh, we're not, gonna go back to Herod and ask him anything else about this because that is not the way um and so just seeing that in your own life uh like that's part of it too right we're not we're not gonna go back to Herod we're not gonna look to Herod for the answers or go back to report to him we're gonna do something different even if we don't know what they actually did um but we know what we can do too all right Brigida so are you ready to ready to roll there? I was. Um, and will you ask the question one more time just to reground me? 
Yeah, the question is about um, how we are going home by another way as a result of the mm. word is resistance. How are we going home another way? Yeah, um, I resonate with both what Liz and Jean just shared, which is how my body feels. <laughs> and the way that I'm the way that I'm going, the way it feels in my body is just full of weary grief, weary grief. So the way that I'm going home is weeping, weeping and wailing and crying. Um, and part of that is because in order for part of building a new world includes hospicing the old world. And so I'm really curious in this going home another way, like what are the palliative care practices of this old way of dying? Um, how do I honor grief? What is that here to teach me? And there are two episodes that, whew, that accompany me on this, on this different way home. One of them was episode 50, Easter Mary Magdalene's grief that talked about grief as a form of protest grief as a form of protest. And that was really powerful for me um, to trust grief, to enter those spaces. And the other one was episode 100, Grief and Praise, um, which also invited me into, into hospice care, both for these illusions that I had, um, the tragedy, the heartbreak, being in that place, being in that place of heartbreak um, as a form of blessed unrest. And what's tempting for me is be it capitalism or the way I grew up, I'm tempted to just read another self-help book <laughs> to try to like leapfrog over that uncomfortable grief and I cannot. So the, the way home, the, another way I'm going home I'm weeping, I'm weeping. I think we're weeping with you, Brigida. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so what are the liturgies of lament? How do we embody that grief work communally, collectively? Um, those are new. That's my growing edge in this work, in this in this way home. And we're not alone in that. Hmm. Wonder, um, is there Jean, if you have any you wanted to add to that? Because I saw both of your faces when um, that probably looked a lot like mine. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, I just think what you said is so helpful, Brigida, because, you know, we just don't have a culture of, of any honoring of grief or even like, even understanding the necessity of it, you know, that it's as essential as laughing or, or any other of the, 
um, or celebrating or any other of the sort of transitional moments and ceremonies and whatnot that we create as humans to get us through times. Um, grief is just totally pathologized and and avoided at all costs. Um, um, and I think that that's another product of white supremacy, that everything's supposed to be shiny and happy and um and okay like and in america this america you know the american dream even though everybody knows at this point i think that the american dream is just not a thing like we're not gonna make it it's not gonna happen and especially your, our younger folks our gen z and um they just they know for show they're not getting that house they're not ever gonna pay off their college they're not even gonna go to college probably, or I don't know, I'm now I'm ranting, but um, to convince, especially in parish ministry, you know, I feel like you have to convince people about the value of grief and going through it. Um, and, you know, some churches might be better than others, but in our mainline uh, denominations, you know, everybody wants the shiny the shiny, happy, the, the, um, um, this facade of everything's okay. Everybody's welcome. Shiny, shiny, shiny. And the truth is, is the church is just crumbling. And I think it's because for 40 years or more, it hasn't really stood for anything because it won't grieve what's real. And so it won't step into a place of like, let's make, let's make a change here or here. And again, that's not every, that's like, there are, there are churches, you know, here and there in every city that are like engaging and doing things, but the, the over the umbrella, you know, is, you know, people go in and they just, it's just nothing. They, they feel nothing. It doesn't stand for anything. They can't grieve there. They can't be real there. So, um, yeah, it's a, we need to grieve. <laughs> you know, we need to learn how and celebrate it, you know? Yes. Yes, Jean. <laughs> yes, Brigitte. I, <laughs> I'm chuckling a little bit because I spent like two months as a hospice chaplain this year um, between paid jobs that you know the one I I had at the parish and the one I have now and um it was a very wild and beautiful two months and I'm just thinking about the palliative care practices you're mentioning Brigida and um there it like feeling that entering somebody's home when someone is dying there and being with their loved ones and like the deep sorrow that you can feel in the air and um most days i laughed a lot <laughs> like we'd be around a bedside and there are just like tears flowing and then all of a sudden people are having like the most unbelievable belly laughs about this story about this beloved person who's passing away that they're saying goodbye to like usually there was just like a shit ton of food around uh people are like eating the things that like remind them of love <laughs> and so i'm i'm thinking about how 
all these things go together again, like to your point, Jean, like capitalism does not want us to think that. Um, but like joy and sorrow are siblings. They belong together. I don't know if y'all ever saw that movie inside out. And like when joy, the character joy finally figures out like the way forward, it's because she like sidled up to sadness and befriended her and um, like felt the sadness. Uh, you know, you can't just, you can't hit snooze on grief and expect to feel anything liberating or joyful. Like we are whole beings. Um, we can't chop ourselves up in pieces that way. So I think that um, I appreciate you, Brigitte, for lifting up how we think about the hospice of this season um, as going home by another way. Uh, because there's there's feasting there and there's joy and there's weeping. And they're all together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that um, hundredth episode with Nicola around praise and grief, there's a quick quote she has in there, which is, your praise can only be genuine and deep if grief is also present. When I'm in touch with grave, grief and praise together, I am truly present, open and available to whatever the spirit wants to do with me. Mm. Yeah, we need both. We need both. And I'm thinking of all the episodes where we've let that grief, not just the ones that you named, but, um, but others. Just speaking of some, I can think of ones that I did where, you know, my heart was just cracking open and like sometimes even getting choked up while I was recording. And um, that uh, cracked openness, I think is something I'm taking with me too. Of Just like that has to be part of it. it even in our own like positioning as I don't know what we want to as as these contributors and I talked about this and you know in the conversation with Margaret and Nicola in that first combo of like you know early in the podcast of me like I'm gonna I'm here to teach everybody all the things that will make us like good white people and how quickly that came undone and that undoing was in part I think you know, because I allowed to, myself to feel grief, I allowed myself to actually be vulnerable in this very public space, which sometimes feels scary. But, um, uh, but all of you have said it. Like we we can't get to where we want to go without grieving um, where we've been, the possibilities that never came to fruition, the loss, um, the immense amounts of loss, the trauma and how it impacts us. Um, 
and how that grief, like in that episode about Mary Magdalene that I did, is deeply tied to love. Also, a love for our people, love for a world, you know, that that actually could be if we would just let it. You know, wanting our people to be fed, wanting all of our people, all of them, all of them, every single one of them to be safe. To just be safe. And to have that safety not be at the expense of others. You know, so even those visions ride right alongside our grief of you know what happens when we don't do that, you know. It's again, it's that kind of like advent reckoning with what reality is, the 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 little apocalypse in Mark this year, um, in that first Sunday. Uh, disaster, everything's going to come crashing down, and it is around us. And yet, all at the same time, there's this vision of what could be possible. But we can't have that without naming what's actually also real and holding both of those things at the same time. Um, holding that both and. You know, um, that multiple things can be true at once. So, and maybe that's a good um, stepping off place for the last of our prompts, which is tips for reading scripture as the word is resistance, because that would be one of mine. It's like that both and resist the binaries, multiple things can be true at once. Um, and that's true for reading scripture as well. So I'm wondering, oof, as we kind of like are in our achy heartedness still, but um you know, as as uh, we complete this, we would hope our listeners can continue reading in this way. So what would you, what kind of practices or tips would you hope our listeners kind of carry with them in their own reading and interpretation of scripture as the word is resistance? Liz, why don't you just start us off and we'll just keep going in that, in that way. Okay. Um, well, in the continued conversation about grief, and now that I'm thinking about the movie Inside Out, I'm remembering that the reason that sadness was the pathway to returning to joy was because sadness and grief invited connection. Like the little the little child in that movie starts to cry, which brings their caregiver to their side, caregivers to their side to just like rub their back and let them cry and feel closeness and um so I'm I'm thinking about like my main tip for reading scripture as the word is resistance uh is to do it with people <laughs> with others um and like I think grief is one of our pathways back to each other um that is why capitalism and our bosses do not want to make room for our grief because we will find each other and we will be in deep solidarity with each other. And we, then we will be powerful. <laughs> um, so yeah, read, read together, talk together. Like for each of the, if each of those little like episodes of the word of resistance is an Island, I imagine that like, I'm going to talk about the mycelial web again, like all the text threads 
and like email conversations and phone calls and Zoom calls, like are these like massive webs, like connecting all of those together because we were able to do it as a team and as a collective, um, even across these distances. So like find people to wrestle this out with. Don't do it by yourself. Um, that's, I mean, the collectivity of interpreting scripture for me is the big, the big tip, hot tip that I send forward as we, as we close out this body work together. Yeah, Liz, that's, <clears throat> that is, that's really good. The Bible, I was thinking earlier, as we were talking, like the Bible is a dangerous neighborhood. Don't go alone. You know, like, um, um, it is meant to be, it is meant to be learned in groups, you know, you're not, you, you can't just sit in your room and read the Bible and be like, I, I understand because you, you can't. Um, but I think like, just what I tell a lot of people is just remember like the thing, you know, when you learn, when you're reading any Bible in English, it's a, it's a translation of a translation of another translation of something that was written in an ancient language. Um, and so it's, it has somebody's influence, you know, whoever translated or whatever group. So, you know, take time and read in your Bible. It'll, it'll say, you know, in the beginning who did all that. So you can find out a little bit about that. Um, if something seems weird, like a word seems weird. It probably is. So just know that like there's another word that was translated in another language that was translated to that word. And so if someone's so inclined, like literally like try to look those things up if you have time and not everybody does, but even just knowing like, well, that's weird. Then, and then don't take it so seriously. I think in, in Christianity, we take the Bible so like, so like, literally so you read the book of job or you read so some of these old tip like jonah you read these stories and everyone's like this is really serious so i'm like i think somebody wrote this and they were trying to actually be funny to make you know to make a point um and that's what i learned in seminary i had excellent new uh hebrew bible teachers but yeah that and understand you know th that the bible has a context i think people don't get that like so when you read Paul, remember that like um, there were other writers when Paul was alive and he was probably influenced by them. So maybe find out who was writing when Paul was writing, like all of this kind of stuff, like um, to understand that, yeah, the Bible was written by people in certain context for certain people going through certain things. And I, and I know that for us, we're like, yes, but for many people, I don't think that comes to mind. It's like some kind of a vacuum or like God literally like shot the words down and etched them in the ground and someone copied them on papyrus or something. And that didn't happen. People were going through stuff. They wrote stuff down. Um, so the Bible is not a history book. It's not a geography book. It's not a medical book. You know, it's a story about it's a it's a bunch of stories about people trying to make meaning of what was going on around them. So I think, you know, and I think oh, probably the listeners, the word is resistance listeners are people who are more inclined to know these things, but there might be some who aren't. 
So, I mean, that's always the advice, the Bible reading advice I give to people. Like, um, you know, there it's, it's not so serious. I mean, it is, but it's also not, it's like stories. So if something seems kind of funny, maybe it's supposed to be funny and that's okay. Yes. You can laugh when you read the Bible and be like, this guy was nuts or whatever, you know, uh, or this was a crazy situation or this just sounds like really far-fetched and like it probably didn't happen. Yeah, it probably didn't. Someone was writing about something to get a point across to some people. So, and, um, and when you read the new Testament, you know, those are scriptures of people who are living under occupation. And so it's very tempered by that. Um, and I don't think people get that either. Like, honestly, as much as we talk about it, I don't think, I just don't think people think about it or get it. So, yeah, I'm like your, I'm like your practical Bible nerd kind of person. So <laughs> that's, that's me. So that's what, that's what I think. Those are my tips for people. Um, and go through the transcripts and look at the bibliographies and see who <laughs> the people who were contributing what they were reading because go and go to that because that's where you're gonna that's where we got inspiration so if we if we inspired you then that's you know go find out who inspired us that's a good thing to do Jean, i love i love that it, it reminds me of um when i was in college and i was going to uh church at i was presbyterian at the time i grew up presbyterian and the church near near my uh, college, Highland um, Park Presbyterian in Dallas, giant wealthy church, yikes. Um, but it was, I could walk there and I didn't have a car. So much more conservative than how I grew up or anything that I did, even in college and thereafter. But anyway, one of the things I love to say about interpreting scripture was that text without context is pretext which I think is like a nice little motto, but their context was never, the Roman empire is actually destroying these communities. <laughs> their context was never, you know, Babylon deported all of their leadership and destroyed the city. What does that do to people? Their context was never, you know, Rome is actually controlling what's happening in the temple. Rome, it, you know, their context was was never those things. It was always, here's how terrible Judaism is and how Jesus came to fix it. And um, so, you know, when we think about, you know, figuring out that context, I love that our collective practice here has been like the actual context and in doing some of the things that we have been taught, particularly around like, uh, around Judaism and anti-Jewish readings of, of scripture. Like that's something I'm particularly passionate about, obviously, but um, I just had to like add that in. It made me think of that, you know, text without context, like what is it? But let's get the context right, you know, let's get the context right. Go ahead, Brigida. Mm, yeah, Jane, I appreciated hearing all those tips from you as a Bible nerd. <laughs> that was great. For me, reading the word of resistance means paying attention to the logic of empire, which Reverend Anne, you mentioned briefly, but it's paying attention to moral dualisms, 
good, bad, us, them, rich, poor, all of those things empire uses to maintain hierarchy and also to bolster an illusion of separateness. So as you're reading, pay attention. Word of resistance for me is rejecting those moral dualisms. At the same time, um, that means that I'm queuing into power dynamics and how that comes up in the text. And then there's this sneaky thing that happens sometimes for me, which is um, one way that whiteness manifests itself, which is um, not just an illusion of separateness, but an illusion of sameness. So sometimes when reading scripture, <clears throat> what can happen is, oh, we are all just God's children. Um, we are all the same. And those things in practice, when we're thinking about how theologies become real and create the institutions, the cultures, the families we're a part of, is that just becomes code for assimilation and maintaining dominance. That in order that um, you have to adopt those things, um, can't we all just get along an illusion of sameness? And so word of resistance strategies of interpreting scripture are not just unmasking the illusion of separateness. It's also unmasking the illusion of sameness. Um, and that's important so that you are being held accountable to the way power is operating. Um, but the one thing that I hope the most is that when engaging in scripture, hopefully in community with one another, that you um, adopt a practice of what we were called to do, which is coming up with a call of action. At the end of every podcast episode, we would read a scripture, then say this week's call to action is, and y'all, that was often really difficult for me. It was difficult because it brought me out of biblical land of reading and interpreting and put me right into the present moment where I had to tune in to the tragedies and triumphs of what's happening in our world and then say, where am I being called to act now? And who is coming with me in this? So my encouragement to you is when engaging with scripture and asking, what is this text? What is this text speaking to us? If you're reading the word as resistance, that includes how am I called to act? What is my call to action? That is fantastic, Brigitte. And that reminder, um, that's what all of it is for, right? Is to help us know how to show up uh, in these moments where we are. A, a beautiful segue into our call to action, um, which is for all of us and all of you, uh, our beautiful uh, listening collective body, to continue to read scripture as the word is resistance. You can do this too. Like that, we don't have some kind of monopoly on 
what this can be. Um, you can do this too. In whatever space you find yourself where you're telling a collective sacred story, you can bring all of these lenses, these practices, all of these things to offer resistance word for what we are facing. So we hope that you continue to do that. And we also want you to know that the podcast will, as we said, will continue to be available wherever you listen. It's not going anywhere. Um, the database for finding episodes and transcripts will also be available. Um, for now, you can go to the quote unquote home of the Word is Resistance on SoundCloud and you'll find the link there and it will continue to live there. Um, and we also commend to you some of our favorite resources for liberatory work for Christians, including Enfleshed, which um, Liz mentioned, our Bible app, Justice Unbound, and G's Magazine. We're using G's um, Advent. Oh, it's on the table. I'm looking forward here. It's on our it's on our dining table. Uh, it's their Advent devotional. Really beautiful reflections there. So I encourage you to reach out for those things. And finally, we have a request for all of you. Um, if you'd like to record a one to two minute reflection on what this podcast has meant to you, you can send the recording um, along with the transcript to me at faith at surgeaction.org. Faith, F-A-I-T-H at S-U-R-J action, surgeaction.org. We'll feature you in the final episode, and we would love to hear from you. So get those to us, uh, to me, between now and December 15th. We already have a couple of beautiful submissions, so please send in yours. Just thank you, um, Liz and Jean and Brigitte, so much for this conversation, um, for all that you've contributed. Um, you know, the the listening, the cheerleading, the contributions, episodes, all of it, all that you've contributed over these years. And beloved listeners, thank you as always for joining us from wherever you are on this good earth. Um, we'll be back next week with our final Advent parting gift, um, the closing episode from me. Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> and words from you, um, our listeners. And of course, we want to always thank our uh, beloved sound editor, Claire Hitchens. And Liz, I believe um, you've got some words of blessing to uh, to close this out with. So if you want to offer that, go, go right ahead. Absolutely. These words come from Arundhati Roy, who said, another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. So may we breathe along with her, this new world, and may we do it together. Amen. Amen. Rise, shine, give.